Aboriginal people already have enough feelings of harassment, that the police are on us, that we're being watched, and this is just really going over and above board. This is Lottie. I'm a social worker and um, a member of a Redfern Aboriginal community. I've lived in Redfern, my family's lived in Redfern all my 53 years. The inner city suburb in Sydney has a reputation for crime, so police maintain a heavy presence in the area. They say this presence keeps people safe. That's not how Lottie and her family see it. We have experienced a lot of harassment in Redfern over many, many years. You know, at one stage I thought, well, you know, police are there doing their job, but now they're overdoing their job. With Aboriginal people currently making up nearly 30% of the prison population, Lottie is worried. She's worried that the constant policing of her neighbourhood is going to see her children put in jail. They see it as harassment, so much so that now my daughter swears at them, throws things at them, and so then, then that gets her put up for more charges. It's just a two-way street. They're going to be disrespectful. The young people are going to be disrespectful and the police are going to be disrespectful back, and the cycle just goes on. This cycle is written into the history of Redfern and of Aboriginal communities across Australia. The young people today do know some of that history, and their parents and the grandparents still have it in their heads. Lottie remembers her student days when she'd see mounted police riding down the streets of Redfern in riot gear. But these days, Lottie has a new worry. In the olden days, yes, the police sergeant might go, oh, watch so-and-so, watch so-and-so, you know, but to have this whole program where not just one police officer but all the police officers in the, in the station I have a list of these people. It's, it's, it's going to do nothing but bad things. Now, this racism isn't just coming from one police officer or one local area command. Now, it's generated by a computer. Welcome to Think Digital Futures. My name is Shane Anderson. We've talked on the show before about the double-edged sword of data. This episode, the final in this series, we're going to explore what happens when big data is used for the wrong reasons. What happens when an algorithm learns to discriminate? There is a seductiveness in big data and in big data technologies. This is Joe Travaglia, Professor of Health Services and Management at the University of Technology, Sydney. Just to recap, an algorithm is the software you use to analyse a big data set. Now, one of these data sets could have millions of pieces of information, and an algorithm's job is to organise it in a way that it makes sense. Essentially, it's a question written in code. It looks good because it looks quote-unquote scientific. It's an algorithm and there's maths involved, so it must be objective. Joe says that when you dig a little deeper, algorithms actually have a track record of taking on the bias of the people who program it. The thing always comes back to that idea of who uses it for what purpose. This bias isn't always intentional. People aren't programming an algorithm specifically to be racist, but between the lines, they often reflect a programmer's pre-existing prejudices. Joe says that if we want to uncover whether an algorithm is prejudice, we need to start asking questions of our own. 
what's the worldview that's contained within any form of technology? How does that worldview include or exclude people? And then how does that worldview make use of that sort of data? These aren't always so easy to answer. For a lot of those systems, we don't know yet. It's still in sort of that phase where we're not really sure how it's going to be used. Data collection tends to happen in the background and in secrecy. So a lot of the time we don't know who is collecting what data, let alone what they're using it for. What's more, the people collecting the data often want it to stay that way. But when we rely too much on data alone, we miss the bigger picture. And this can have devastating consequences, which takes us back to Redfern. How it came about was not through any government announcement. It was through a client's experiences. This is Sophie Parker. I'm the police power solicitor at Redfern Legal Centre. And this is Vicky Sentis. Senior lecturer, UNSW Faculty of Law. Vicky works alongside Redfern Legal Centre running a thing called the Police Powers Clinic where law students spend a semester working with solicitors to help people with their compliance. It was at this clinic that they started to notice a spike in people coming to them for advice. Clients were contacting us. Saying, I'm being constantly harassed by the police. I haven't done anything. Their court matter had been finalised, but police are still coming to my house. Police are stopping and searching me. What have you been up to? You've got nothing to hide. You've got that big bag. You wouldn't mind turning out your pockets or emptying your bag, would you? They weren't able to identify any justified reason. They haven't found anything. Are they allowed to do this? What's going on? Their clients even had a name for this shift in policing tactics. Quite a number of clients were saying that they were on a stomp. Stomp, stamp, STMP, or police told me I'm a high-risk offender, that's why they can do this. I never heard of this stomp. I was like, what, what is it? From the ground up, pieced together from stories from their clients, they discovered the existence of an algorithm police were using not just to identify who criminals were, but to spot them before they'd even committed a crime. The New South Wales Police call this the Suspect Target Management Plan. The problem with the Suspect Target Management Plan comes in at the management part. People in the STMP were being subjected to what Vicky calls a program of harassment. For most people, it would involve being stopped in the street, using that as a basis for conducting a stop and search. Legally, police are only allowed to stop and search if they have a reasonable suspicion you're carrying something unlawful, like a knife, stolen goods or drugs. And reasonable suspicion can't be just you're in a high crime area, or reasonable suspicion actually can't be that just you're placed on this list. People targeted by the STMP were calling it the stomp, because to them, that's what this felt like. Vicky says the STMP is essentially software based on a particular algorithm, based on particular risk categories. Vicky co-authored a report into the stomp. Even though it's been in use in New South Wales for nearly 20 years, her report, the first investigation into its use, only came out a couple of months ago. It took lawyers a little while to realise its existence. Basically, this algorithm analyses all the information New South Wales police have on you. Then based on that information, you're sorted into a risk category, extreme, high, medium or low. And that's pretty much all we know about this algorithm because the rest is a secret. It's not available to the public. But what we understand the rationale of the policy to be is a so-called crime prediction tool. 
This is basic predictive policing. The idea is that by targeting people who've had the most contact with police, you can predict whether or not that person is likely to offend again. At this point, you might be wondering what's so bad about having a list of suspects. After all, it is the job of the police to prevent crime. But after Vicky discovered the STMP was in use, she lobbied for access to the data being fed into the algorithm. She wanted to figure out who it was determining was most likely to commit a crime. And the strange thing Vicky found was that not everyone on the STMP had done anything wrong. They might be on the STMP simply because they come into high levels of contact with the police or they're known to police. The algorithm is including all instances of police contact. According to Vicky, this means that you can be put into a risk category with no seeming relationship to your prior offences. A person may have committed a number of, say, shoplifting offences before, coupled with hypothetically friends who may have offended or family that have offended, or another risk criteria might have been being suspended from school. It's including things like having a relative who has committed a crime or potentially even being in a household police have been called to. And when you feed all these into the STMP, you end up with an algorithm that disproportionately targets Aboriginal youth. Let's take a look at the stats. Of the 1,800 people on the stomp across New South Wales, 1,017 are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people. That's 56%. But when you look at the entire population of Australia, Aboriginal people only make up 2.8%. How about age? Well, according to Vicky's report, 48.8% of people on the stomp are under 25. Of those, nearly 24% of them are children under 18. The youngest person, she found, was 10. And that's not an anomaly. The second youngest is 11. So all those clients who were coming to Vicky and Sophie feeling as if they were being constantly harassed by the police, they were young Aboriginal people, some of them children. By branding children as criminals, the STMP is fueling further divisions between police and young people. The distrust, the history and the way they're doing this program, like how do you know if you're on the list? How long are you on the list? Are you high? Are you low? Um, How long are they going to monitor you for? Lottie says that many of the children in her community are already suffering from disadvantage and trauma, including members of her own family. I basically only know that my daughter's on this list. What makes you think that your daughter is is on this list? Oh, they've told me. The police have told me that she's on a list that they have of keeping an eye on youth. They didn't um, name it. They just said that there's a list of youth that they keep an eye on and that she's on that list. How old is your daughter? She's just turned 13. Started getting in trouble at 12. She hasn't um, transitioned well into high school and she's had... uh, a few deaths and things that she's had to deal with. I try to explain it to her and say, look, you're on the high, high. You know, we used to be on the low, low, and police didn't know us. And now, looking at the report, you can say, you know, you don't know how high she's. According to the report, Redfern has the highest number of people on the STMP. 60% of those on the stomp are Aboriginal, despite only making up 2% of Redfern's population. The average age of people in the STMP in Redfern is 15. With all the secrecy surrounding the STMP, we can't confirm whether her daughter is on it. 
We only know what the police have told Lottie, and from Vicky's report that people on the list are also often told they're high-risk offenders. For Lottie, having her daughter labelled a high-risk offender impacts their daily lives. They basically watch her. If she's on a bike, they'll pull her over. It just seems like this constant interaction from the police. Lottie believes this constant interaction feeds into the cycle of over-policing that only leads to more arrests. What they're doing at the moment is basically monitoring and over-policing and over-resourcing and young people are sick of it and they're not going to want to interact with the police. You know, who's going to complain? Because these young people don't have a lot of power. They just take it on the chin and move on. But, you know, like... It can result in terrible tragedies. It was here in Sydney's inner west, in a community they call The Block, that 17-year-old Thomas Hickey fell from his bike yesterday, becoming impaled on a fence. He died later in hospital. His family and members of the Aboriginal community point the finger at police. Every black child is frightened of the police and as they say and they just chase them for no reason. And this is a classic case of, of the way police are treating Aboriginal people, particularly here at the block. In 2004, the death of TJ Hickey sparked a riot in Redfern that lasted for nine hours. His family maintained that at the time of his death, he was being pursued by the police. inquest into his death, New South Wales police described Hickey as a high-risk offender. Algorithms ask a question and big data provides an answer, but this isn't designed to give you the full picture. Algorithms don't tell you about a history of over-policing, of Aboriginal people being 15 times more likely to be charged for things like swearing in public than non-Aboriginal people. They don't tell you about TJ Hickey and the grief and the anger hanging over the Redfern community. They don't tell you about the trauma of intergenerational poverty and ongoing health issues. The STMP is the easy way out of a complex and long-standing issue. Young people and Aboriginal people are overrepresented on the STMP. Do you know why? I think that's probably a question for the police. That's Sophie Parker again. One way to figure out whether it is the case that Aboriginal people are being over-policed is to look at the over-representation of Aboriginal people as our clients in a policing practice. People would look at that and say, well, maybe it's because Aboriginal people and young people and men in particular are more likely to be criminals. Oh, I would say that, that that's a dangerous argument to make. know that many Aboriginal people who participate in crime because they're nasty and mean and willfully want to harm other people. That's not the story I understand. This is Megan Williams. I'm from the Graduate School of Health at UTS. On my father's family, I'm a descendant of the Wiradjuri people of central New South Wales and a lot of Anglo family as well. Megan studies reoffending among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people leaving prison. Nearly half of all juveniles in custody are Aboriginal. To Megan, this tells a story. 
for me, there's a lot of unwell people with multiple health issues, poverty across generations, worry like you wouldn't believe, not a lot of skills to get yourself out of the deep spiritual as well as financial problems. Have you seen firsthand what all this contact with the police system does to people? I have. I've definitely, you know, first-hand, second-hand, third-hand, and I just know how easy it is for people to get caught in the cycle. It's just such a shame. We are contributing to a worsening situation by labelling and reinforcing the stereotype rather than offering a, a way out of that. Megan says throwing police resources at high-crime areas isn't the way to stop offending. She says the problem really lies with us. Society doesn't care enough about the problems faced by disadvantaged youth. We need to care more. Caring would mean actually not stimulating police action on the basis of those statistics, but instead stimulating rehabilitation, eldership, other types of alternatives than policing. Yeah, what would better support look like for you? For me, I'd put my money towards day programs, better skills training, the opportunity for young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to be included in school and doing anything we can to not have dropout from high school. Big data is a tool, but it can also be a weapon. But however it's used, in whatever context, it's never objective. Vicky and her fellow researchers are calling for an end to the STMP being used as a basis for stop and search, for them to take all youth off the list, and for more transparency from New South Wales Police about how they're using our data. Lottie also thinks there are ways the police could use all that information they have on us to identify children who are struggling and helping them rather than targeting them as suspects. She wants to see the authorities working alongside parents and elders rather than against them. There could be ways that they could use the information in good and try and get them some help in programs. I I, want to say to the police that there are ways that you can go about engaging young people and there are always going to be times when young people are going to go off the rails, are going to not follow the law, are not going to be going to school and doing the right thing. But to criminalise them and constantly monitor them and harass them is not the way to go. This has been Think Digital Futures. The show is supported by the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER and broadcast right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. New South Wales Police provided a written statement to us about their use of the STMP. You can read it in full at 2SER.com slash think hyphen digital hyphen futures. This is the final show of 2017. We'll be back next year, but in the meantime, you can catch up on past episodes by subscribing to us on your favourite download app. Feedback means a lot, so please leave a review. Special thanks to Miles Herbert, Jake Morecambe, Emma Lancaster and Hamish Robertson for all your advice and editorial assistance. My name is Shane Anderson. Thank you for listening. Thank you.